really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, results, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. As always, I'm David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. Today, however, is a bonus episode, and this time it's a fantastic interview, if I do say so with uh, myself. It's an interview with my brother from another mother, the Scottish rugby podcast's John Anderson, who's always just a ton of fun. Uh, John was good enough to take a rather large slice out of his day to sit down with me to discuss the upcoming Six Nations, as well as all things Scottish rugby. If you'd like to get in touch, please do, but I'll save the contact info for the end just for the sake of getting right to it. And so with the admin out of the way, let's get going. Okay, my friends, I'm very, very pleased to have a returning guest with me. He's the man whose laugh you'll all recognize from his work on the Scottish Rugby Podcast, where he's typically joined by Cammy Black and sort of a, a rotating cast of equally entertaining fellows. I'm speaking, of course, of the irrepressible Mr. John Anderson. John, welcome back to the Scrum of the Earth. And how the heck are you? Oh, yeah. Th- thanks for having me. Yes, very well. Very well. I was, uh, I was struggling as you were doing that intro there not to burst out any laughter. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, very well. Thanks. So, and the only probably real serious thing I'll bring up. Um, so I do want to check, have you and yours been keeping safe and well? It's just been so crazy lately. I just don't want to pass up an actual chance for a real a check-in. So, you know, are things all right? Yeah, no, everything's very well here. Um, obviously, as, as as you indicate, you know, things have been a bit crazy over the last few months um, across the world. So, yeah, everything's everything's well with me and well with the family. Uh, I hope I hope the same is of true of yourself. It, yes, we've been very lucky in that way, and uh, it's weird the uh, the RFU's attempt to uh, completely eliminate the spread of Omicron by keeping those three rugby teams in South Africa. It didn't work. It's weird. No, I mean, who would have thought? Eh? Uh, like, who would have thought that just putting putting them in isolation and not? Yeah. It's... <laughs> I mean, yeah. by the time they <laughs> by the time they were allowed to leave their hotels, it was already the dominant strain in the UK. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Literally, Omicron arrived back before the other teams did. <laughs> before yeah. Kind of, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, madness. But hey, as as long as everyone's well, that's that's the important thing. Yeah, and I, I I admit I'm harboring a tiny bit of optimism for this thing maybe going away or becoming you know something that's more manageable sometime soon. So. As, as, a Scots, as a Scotsman, we have to point out that over the years, it is optimism that kills you. So just, you know, damp, dampen that down right now. <laughs> that should be, that is the slogan that goes on your merchandise, I think, right? Uh, pretty sure it is, yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, I didn't ask you on here, here to, uh, ch- to chat about the pandemic. So um, where we left off last time we were speaking, I believe you were just starting to talk about some of the struggles you went through after the unexpected success of the album Fragile and uh, some of the things that sort of came along with the superstardom that followed. Is that when you and Rick Wakeman really started sort of hitting the bottle? Oh, wait, I've done it again, haven't I? <laughs> yes, that uh, sadly is my alter ego. Uh, <laughs> I've left that life behind. I now tend to talk 
primarily about rugby these days. You, you got to admit, it's a strong move on my part, bringing in yes jokes, uh, you know, uh, uh, an incredibly niche podcast, adding that ultra niche little thing on the top. It's really, you know, any, anything to drive away the listeners. We, we, we on the Scottish Rugby blog are huge fans of that as well, uh, to the point where Cammy's Twitter handle does indicate uh, when he's talking about the podcast, it is heroically niche. So we, we, we are huge fans of making sure, bringing in random references. I think this week uh, we were talking about horse riding. So, you know, as you do. Somebody was talking about how people who like horse racing, it's not that they actually like horse racing, it's that they just like drinking near animals. <laughs> <laughs> Which can say a lot about a person. <laughs> yeah. we'll leave it there. <laughs> well, are there some horses around? Because I am thirsty. I am. I am desperately needing a pint right now. <laughs> so uh, I, I will tell the the listeners. I was sort of pestering you last night on Twitter about the the Glasgow match that was happening against La Rochelle. I was bugging you to see if you were actually there, and now I'm glad to learn that you were not there because uh, yes. that probably wouldn't have been the most fun evening. Uh, yeah, so I was I was watching at home, safe, uh, safe and warm, not uh, not standing in two degree Glaswegian uh, freezing cold weather. So, uh, yeah, I mean it was, yeah, I was I'm glad I wasn't there as well. It was a very frustrating game um, as a as a supporter. It was a, um, it was it was a bit of a hiding. It was for, you know. From uh, oh yeah, I mean realistically, yeah, yeah. And I was just saying to you before we went on the air there that. The, the scoreline masks a lot of, like, Glasgow got two late tries, which really took a, took away the kind of, it masks how bad a result it actually was. Larachelle probably left six or seven tries out there as well, so... They looked really yeah. low energy. Was it just, you know, just one of those nights? Do you feel, so you're, you're a supporter of this, this team, so do you feel any differently? Or was this like, a, okay, I'm going to write this off as an off night, or is this, or are you hearing some alarm bells? I mean, right, so to be completely honest, um, I haven't necessarily bought into the huge optimism that kind of came. Ah. I, th I think the, ex the Exeter result was, was good and we, we played well that night. Mm. For me, um, I haven't necessarily bought into the, the, the optimism around Glasgow rugby and how things have progressed. There was a couple of good results just at the turn of the year. I have still struggled and said we were making mistakes. I think the game plan is all wrong. I think the coaching mm. team are wrong as well. Oh. Um, so I've kind of really wanted to caveat the the Exeter result for me was a, was an anomaly okay. that masked a lot of problems Glasgow are having. Um, and I think ultimately a lot of it can come down to the game plan and coaching. Uh, and that was exposed last so night. When you say the, the coaching... It do you mean like they, their game plans aren't good or do you think that the players are at a place where they've the coaches have sort of lost them uh, yeah so i think a bit of a bit of category a bit of category b i think the cat the, the for me the game plan with the type of personnel glasgow have available to them the game plan continues to be a bit of a mess and certainly defensively uh, a couple of the tries last night were at, at professional level unforgivable tries yeah. to give away first phase missing basic tackles against yeah big runners but at professional level everyone's a big runner you expect to be able yeah. to make those tackles. so yeah, unforgivable there, 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 might have been, there might have been some super six tackling out there instead of oh yeah, yes <laughs> yes tackling optional is uh, but for me a lot of that rests that game plan rests on the coaching team and particularly danny wilson at the helm 
I fear there is a, an element of category B, which th I agree with you. The energy last night was awful. There was no, there was no drive. There was, there didn't seem to be any passion mm. for what they were doing. And I think if I can just touch on, probably for me, the biggest problem Glasgow faced. So the the huge leaders and personalities Glasgow have had in their side over the last few years. Fraser Brown, uh, Ryan Wilson. Ryan Wilson's no longer a, a first choice pick for Glasgow. Mm -hmm. He struggles he struggles to be a first choice pick. And when he does come on, the leadership doesn't seem to improve. Mm. And then last night, the captain was Fraser Brown. And I'm not for singling out individuals, but Fraser Brown has really struggled since coming back from injury. His form has been poor. Mm. And he continues to... He's, throughout his career, he's been a bit of a penalty machine. Yep. <laughs> and last night was his career in a microcosm because, you know, four minutes in, he's marching off. He gave away stupid penalties. He he didn't lead the side. Yes, yeah, when, when your captain's getting sent off after four minutes, things are not right. Something's gone wrong. And, you know, we all, we all have those situations where you will concede a penalty for the team and take a yellow card. But Fraser does it regularly. And this is not the first time this has happened. So. No. Um, it's interesting for me that Glasgow Glasgow seem to be built on the enthusiasm of those young players. Mm. And for me, again, Ross Thompson, uh, Ross Thompson stood out last night. He was he's, very, he's very classy. Uh, Josh Mackay made a couple of bad mistakes with kicking, but again, ball in hand, he looked good. Mm -hmm. Xander Fagerson continues to really, he's, he's a 25-year-old tighthead and he... He continues to just look like he's been playing. Well, I mean, he has been playing for ten years now. It feels like, but yeah. <laughs> he's, he's so far so far ahead of the, everyone else in that position at Glasgow. So those young guys seem to be setting the standard, and the experienced guys are what's letting us down at the moment. And that, to me, is a coaching issue as well. If you're relying on a leadership team that are going to let you down, then the coaches need to be brave and say no more. Let's move away from that. Um, it's not like, I don't think Glasgow are necessarily in a position where we're going to win anything this year anyway. Mm. And that might sound quite pessimistic, but I think we really need to be building and like guys like Ollie Smith from the bench last night, that was his uh, European debut. Yeah. He's kind of, he broke through last year and then was kind of shunted to the side. And a guy like him, I think getting him game time is really important. Ross Thompson continues to to thrive there's a lot of optimism, but we need to be playing playing proper rugby, and I think ultimately that stops stops with Danny Wilson. So, um, anyone who's listened to the Scottish Rugby podcast will know I I am a I don't like anybody losing their job, obviously, but uh, I'm a firm believer that Danny Wilson's not the right man for the job. So, and by the way, as kind of a side of this, do you think that we can learn anything about the national team by watching the two club sides? Like, does, does how Edinburgh and Glasgow do in the URC and in Europe, does that have a direct impact on the national team or are they just completely different animals? I, I, think, I think that's a great question, to be honest. I think maybe in years gone by, you could probably have learned more about the national side from, because I think particularly in years gone by, I think all, all you did was you watched the Glasgow, for, uh, Glasgow backs and the Edinburgh forwards. Really, that, 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 was, that was the Scottish rugby team right there. Edinburgh's forwards were dominant, particularly under Richard Cockrell. They had a really fierce pack. Whereas the Glasgow backs, it was usually, you picked the Glasgow backs, you picked the Edinburgh forwards. Wow. I think it's less the case now because we have players playing abroad. Mm. Um, 
I, th- I think this is the lowest number of Glasgow Warriors I've seen picked for a Scotland squad. Is it? In, in about, again, probably in about 10 years, actually. Because huh. um, we we've got 11 players in the squad um, this year, this time round, for, for that initial Six Nations squad. And that's the lowest I've seen in a long time. Wow, that's really interesting, actually. So... I do want to switch gears a little bit, the because um, obviously, like, like we already established, you weren't at the game last night, but you do get to ch- the chance to go to Scotson and see games yeah. sometimes. So, can you just talk about the the experience of going to Scotson? Like, what's the stadium really like? Uh, do you feel like it's a reasonably priced evening? Uh, is it a, a place you look forward to being? And and you know, as a fan, that I mean, again, all really really good questions. So to so for your for your listeners, I am currently I'm sitting at a computer desk. If I look out to straight ahead and then looked, if I was able to see quite far right, I would be able to see Scotston. Wow. It's just, it's about six miles over that way. Um, so, yes, Scotston has, it's become synonymous actually with a really good night out of rugby. Oh, okay. And particularly, there was a lot of, a lot of disappointment this season with the fixture list because Friday night is rugby night in Glasgow. Um, obviously, there's another sport that is quite popular in Glasgow uh, that I think, tends I think to dominate. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, there's it's like, it's, yeah, we, we don't have that here though, we, we don't have we, to worry yeah, about that. No, you don't have that, yeah, yeah. So, it's quite popular in Glasgow. So, generally, a Saturday is club rugby and that other sport, whereas Friday night was, was rugby night in Glasgow, okay. and it was really popular. 7 30 kickoff, you would go, and it was just great atmosphere. Scotstown's a really good stadium, actually, for Glasgow. Is it right in the middle of stuff? Can you walk outside and be next to a pub, or is it kind of isolated? Uh, so, uh, it's, it's quite out of the way, actually. It's um, it's it's about a 10, 15-minute train journey outside of the, the town. Okay. Um, there is there is a couple of places you can go on route, and but it's it's slightly out of the way, so you would have to go there to to okay. you know um you wouldn't just stumble up on it put it right. that way um <laughs> where but the the atmosphere they create in the ground is really good so the clubhouse is the the 16th warrior who are the kind of fans committee oh, okay they, they do an amazing job of putting on entertainment and getting pre pre-game speakers and they do an amazing job and there's obviously there's the bar there and the the, the beers are flowing and sort of a festival atmosphere yeah yeah, they, they try to create, like, every every home game is a bit of a, a, a celebration mm. of rugby, and they, they do a great job of, of getting people engaged. Um, the stadium itself, uh, about just, just over 7,000 capacity. Um, each of the stands Good has size. their own... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's the right size for Glasgow. Each of the stands has their own personality, so, like, each of the stands kind of does something different uh-huh. for the club, which is quite cool. Um, so you you know when you're if you're buying a ticket for the game, you kind of get a feel for what like based on which stand you go into, you're going to get a different experience. Oh, okay. Cool. That does not come um, across on the broadcast. No, do you know what? See a lot of the the singing and chanting that you hear. That will be the east, the east and north stands. Okay. Uh, the east, the east stand in particular. It's always been the party stand, so that's where <laughs> people go and you're you're kind of up and down, jumping about, and it's a really really good fun. The north is you get a lot of uh, good 
good stinging in there as well. The main stand's probably more where people will sit. It's kind of your traditional rugby okay. fan where they'll sit and they'll watch the game and it'll be like mutterings and not, not too loud. <laughs> Uh, they're not in the main stand. They're going to kill me for saying that, but uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I just want you yes. down, down a, a troublesome path there. That's it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going. To, I'm going to be getting angry letters after that. So, <laughs> no different to usual. But yeah, the the, the match day experience at Scotland's great in terms of the price. Um, I think I think for individual, like I think a season ticket is very good value. Okay. Um, you get you get a, a lot of home games for your season ticket. You get. A lot of you get the European games as well, so that, oh, that was the game my next last question. If, w- would have been included in the season ticket, individual ticketing, it feels quite expensive. Um, and one of the complaints maybe that Glasgow fans have had over the last ten years is that Glasgow's individual tickets have been more expensive than Edinburgh. Oh, really? So, uh, and the season tickets have been more expensive as well. Um, the reason being that, so Edinburgh were based at Murrayfield with 67,000 tickets mm. available, whereas Glasgow were based at Scotstoun with 7,000. I see, I see. Interesting. I never um, even thought of that. The Glasgow, so, so has the damn health changed that? I, I, I'm not sure it's, I don't think it's equal yet, but I would imagine as time progresses, Edinburgh's tickets if they continue to sell out the stadium as they have been doing then i think the tickets will become more excellent because we had an email back i said i said about this on the podcast and uh, i got an angry email from the sru regarding it um <laughs> I, you know um that it's based on supply and demand you know mm. if glasgow games are selling out and there isn't a huge supply then the price goes up of an individual yep. ticket whereas you know, Edinburgh weren't in that position till this season. So I would expect next year's tickets to be a lot closer in, in uh, value. Interesting. Well, anyway, I had, in fact, asked you to come on here so we could talk about Six Nations and, and we should probably start doing that. Um, uh, why, why not? Yes, let's go for it. <laughs> so at this point, it's only, uh, it's under a couple of weeks away. So the obvious question right off the bat, you know, what's your excitement level right now? Is, is Six Nations really where it's at for you? Uh, so yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. So I think after after this weekend's games, it was it, kind of getting that club game out the road. I think the six the Six Nations when the squad gets announced, that's that tends to be when people get really like, oh, it's coming, it's here, it's here. Yep. Um. So yeah, not looking really looking forward to it. always always as a Northern Hemisphere rugby fan, the Six Nations is the premier tournament. You know. The World Cup comes around every four years and is very exciting, but for us, the Six Nations is is just it, it is king up here. So, as always, I do hesitate to say it out loud, but it kind of seems like Scotland have a little bit of momentum right now. <laughs> How are you feeling about the team, or are you, you keeping the keeping the you know? Are you still going to toe yeah. the company line of pessimism? Oh, do you know, I, <laughs> I I'll toe the company line of pessimism, but right. Like realistically, we we laugh and joke about it, but Scotland have got um, the last Six Nations. Scotland were probably within four points of a Grand Slam. Yeah, um, we lost lost to Wales by a point. We lost to Ireland by three. Um, we were within a Grand Slam territory. We have progressively over the last maybe the last since the World Cup actually in twenty nineteen, our Six Nations performances have improved. We are much tighter in defence, which defence wins you Six Nations. Mm. Like 
a flowery attack is great, and Scotland have had that, but ultimately it's about keeping the opposition out as much as possible. So I think Scotland have got the personnel, they've got the depth, and we'll touch on the squads, I'm sure, in a minute. There is no reason why Scotland would be going into the Six Nations Championship thinking anything other than we've got a shot at this. Mm. That's not disrespecting any of the other teams because we actually know, like, England have underperformed. Mm. They have a phenomenal side and should, on paper, England should always walk the Six Nations. Ireland are a very good side, beat the All Blacks. Again, I would, I'm going to be controversial, so if you have any Irish listeners, I'm sure they'll love this. Ireland probably beat the All Blacks at the best time for playing the All Blacks. The All Blacks are poor. And Ireland, yes, they've done the job, but I think Ireland are a side in transition as well. Wales won the Six Nations last year, and no one knows how, um, because, like... I think Wayne Pibak is still wondering about it. Yeah, I think yeah, I think he'll be sitting with his clipboard still contemplating how, how, how. Um, <laughs> Wales are a side, again, they... I think Wales are a really good example to Scotland of a side who are... The sum of the parts that put into that Wales team are so much more than the individual f- parts. They have decent players, but like from a Scotland perspective, we've always been really frustrated that we play these players on a weekly basis in the United Rugby Championship, in the Pro 14, in the Pro 12. And the Scottish teams regularly give the Welsh teams a slapping. Mm. And then we come up against them at the national side and they seem like possessed like versions of themselves. So um, Wales, you know, nothing to fear for me. Italy, Italy, are, Italy are a shambles at yeah. the moment nationally and it's so poor to see. And then France, you just, it's the cliche, you never know what's going to turn up. So Scotland shouldn't fear any of those teams. So obviously Gregor Townsend just recently released his selections. And so the first question always seems to be, you know, what are some of the omissions that surprised you? Were you, were you actually shocked by anyone being left out or was it just yeah. kind of a, a head scratcher? Uh, yeah, yeah. So initial, honest, honest to uh, initial reaction. There was a couple of really surprising omissions this time round. Um the big one, and I'd messaged you about this, the big one for me, Adam Hastings, yeah, who has been back up 10 for, for Scotland, stepped in when Finn had one too many beers. Um, he's, been, he's, been, he's been left out of the, the squads. And I think like we, we were kind of toing and froing on this, trying to understand it. And I think Blair Kinghorn, who is the Edinburgh former fullback, who is now they're playing at 10 for them. He started the season really well. Um, those who listen to the Scottish Rugby podcast will know, I think that Blair Kinghorn hasn't necessarily been tested at 10 yet. Mm. And I think, I think that's fair. But, but the coaches are seeing enough for them to be put faith in him, and that's cool. So he's been brought in as the backup 10 for Scotland. Certainly well, for the, for with the Hastings, it, with Hastings, it might be that haircut he got when he went to Gloucester. His, <laughs> his team photo for them. He looks like the guy from Twenty Eight Days Later. It's just, ooh. yeah, yeah. Any, 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 uh, any person looking at that who 
doesn't anyone of a nervous disposition look away now? It was <laughs> it was a horror. St- well, yeah, yeah. So, um, get, get him an IV or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Someone said actually very unkindly about Glasgow actually that um, I thought they were like so Hastings left Glasgow and he ended up looking like that. That's not what you look like in Glasgow. I was like, oh, ouch. That's brutal. Oh, a train spotting uh, reference, I think. Train spot, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um yeah, Hastings <laughs> being left out is a puzzler. Uh we've only got one let's let's be let's be kind and say that Blair Kinghorn is now considered a ten, right? He's been he's been dubbed as a ten. So when the squad was announced, we'll include him as a ten. Finn Russell is the only let's say the only career 10 in the squad mm. who has played consistently at 10. They're saying that Stuart Hogg has been considered. Yeah. He's always an absolute emergency, you know, break glass only yeah. in emergency number 10. Yeah. yeah. And we're saying that Cameron Redpath, who's played, who made his professional debut at 10 just the other week. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. After and, nine months of injury. And did all right. That seemed unfair to him, but. I mean, yeah, it's like if you're if you're just coming back to work, do do they ask you to, you know, it's like, do you know what I'm going to do today? Today, you're just back from work. So welcome back. By the way, we're just going to put you a whole new department and ask you to do the accounting today. You're like, what? <laughs> so, no, but he's he played he played OK, you know, and I agree with you. It's very unfair, um, but he played well. Rory Hutchinson's played about 10 as well. Oh, so yeah. there's there's a few options, but again, it's it's I I would make the point that do we want someone like the the possibility is there. I think Finn Russell, if Finn Russell's fit, he plays eighty minutes mm. for four of the five games. Yeah, at ten, right? And that to me is almost a waste of a bench spot mm. because then we've not got Blair Kinghorn. For me, you you would never br- bring Blair Kinghorn on to replace Finn Russell at 10, you would bring him on in our position and then you would shunt everybody about to fit mm. that. And for me, that's a waste, but Townsend clearly has a plan with that and that's cool. Um, there's another, like probably two other big omissions that if you were looking at the squad as a as a casual bypasser, you would think, oh, that's a, a straight... So George Horn, who I've yep. talked about on this podcast, uh, been a bit wax lyrical about, uh, George Horn has he's had no form this season at Glasgow. He's been pretty poor, mm. uh, and he's missed out in the squad. He's been replaced by Ben Velicott, uh from Edinburgh, who is a former. He was picked by Eddie Jones actually a few years ago oh, in England. I didn't know that. Uh, so that's one of our uh, we've stolen back um, <laughs> efforts. Cameron Redpath was in the same same boat actually. We stole him back. Yeah, well, um, I've got questions about both those guys actually. The um, uh, so I do wonder what you think. So, who would you say are the real, the sort of stalwarts of this team? Who are the guys who they just have to be there, or just things aren't right? You know, obviously, you'd probably say Stuart Hogg has to be one of them. Probably, yeah. jo- probably Johnny Gray is. Do you think Hamish is at that level? Maybe Grant Gilchrist. Oh, so yeah, I think I think if you're t- treating it as a whole squad, right? To be fair to a guy like Grant Gilchrist, I think having him in the squad is incredibly important because I think I don't necessarily think he starts matches. I think having him as a bench option is useful. Okay. But I think the experience he brings around the camp and the leadership, and particularly 
Gregor Townsend is really keen on when training, he's really keen on full full matches. So like having 15 on 15 and running scenarios based on having two squads huh. there. So line out, you're competing in the line out okay. against, against your teammates. And Grant Gilchrist, as much as I have criticised him as a rugby player, I think he's a phenomenal line-out option and he's a he's a great line-out operator. So challenging someone like Scott Cummings or Johnny Gray to call against Grant Gilchrist is really good. Okay. It will only improve everybody. He's like the, uh, the he's the shadow minister of the line-out. Yeah, 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 basically, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And he's very good at it. So, um, and that's not to talk down a guy like Grant Gilchrist's ability i think he, i think he's a phenomenal phenomenal option at line out i just think johnny gray is a better second row i think scott cummings is a better second row i'll go as far as to say sam skinner who is huh. moving to edinburgh at the, at the end of the season he's a better option as well but gilchrist will do your job um hamish watson is a really interesting one player player of the six nations last time out yep um british and irish lion phenomenal phenomenal talent it has been probably scotland's most consistent player for many three four years probably but he finds himself in a bit of a problem because his form they're man they're having to manage he's got uh he's still got a groin injury that mm. he had over the lions period and his game time is having to be managed because of that he's not necessarily in the best form it seemed like they wrapped him up in cotton a little bit when he came back from the Lions. And I, I don't know yeah. if that's because he needed that or they thought he needed that. It, it seemed strange. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I think that's directly related to he has a groin injury. I'm led to believe it does require surgery, oh. but they're managing it through to the end of the season when they oh. go for surgery. The problem Hamish Watson's got is I think a, a Hamish Watson that needs surgery is still one of the top uh, sevens in the Northern Hemisphere. The problem he has is that Rory Darge from Glasgow mm-hmm. has appeared on the scene and yep. is tearing trees up. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see the battle between them two because I think on form, if you pick on form, Rory Darge has got the seven shirt nailed down despite not having an international cap. Mm. But Watson brings so much to that team that you would be surprised if that's the way he goes. And I feel like in the past, Hamish has not taken well to coming off the bench as well. I feel like he, he thinks if he's there, he should be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there is, there's an L. It doesn't often come off the bench. Right. And I think the only time I can... So I, th- I think you're absolutely right. But there's one example. He comes off the bench against Wales a few years ago and beat more defenders in... 15 minutes that <laughs> the whole whole Welsh team beat wow. in that game. He, he that sounds like a heavy step. He was a bit of a man possessed that day. And actually, the credits to my podcast, there's quite a lot of footage of Watson that day when he's oh, okay. knocking people out and smacking <laughs> people about. Uh, he was he was phenomenal that day. Um, so. I think no no one's concerned. It's great. It's a great selection headache to have. Mm. You've got a British and Irish Lion who has been one of the best players in the Northern Hemisphere versus this young upstart who has got no fear and is playing phenomenal rugby. That is 
like Scotland tend not to have these selection headings, <laughs> so that's a great place to be. Uh, and by the way, while I was looking at the at the list of who had how many caps and so on, I did see Stuart Hogg is about at, or not about, he's at 88 right now. So that means he's got to be in the 90s before the end of this tournament. Yeah. You know, how are you feeling about him right now? Did did I sense a little bit of sort of mildly anti-Hoggy sentiment from your pod lately, or did I just kind of imagine that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, no, no, I think, I, I think, congratulations on sensing that. That is, that is probably fair. Now, I think um, that is not because it's not because Stuart Hogg is so. I'm happy that Scottish uh, that Stuart Hogg is a Scotland rugby player. I think he is one of one of our best players by a long way. I think that obviously Stuart Hogg plays for Exeter, and and my podcast has had slight issues with uh, in fact we've had let's not beat around the bush we've had huge issues with the the exeter uh brand yep and which he doesn't control obviously he doesn't no no he's not and and i've made clear that you know he is an employee of a side and that's completely his choice and that's cool there was some issues when stuart hogg came up to Glasgow for the Champions Cup game just before Christmas. Uh, Stuart Hogg commented actually on a couple of things online after the game last uh, last weekend. It, 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 it commented on a few things which have subsequently been deleted, but it, it suggested that the Glasgow fans were maybe giving him a hard time, oh. um, which from my experience didn't happen. Interesting. But, um, well, that was you're so, talking about the match where Glasgow came out ahead of time and said, "Hey, traveling Exeter fans, leave your crap at home and don't do the stupid chant, please." Yes, yes, and then proceeded to when some Exeter fans decided that maybe they would just ignore the idea of not doing the silly chant. Um, proceeded to call them out for doing said silly chant. Um, this seems to have landed quite badly with certain Exeter fans. It's almost like, yeah, guys, so remember how we told you not to be, like, silly? Um, we think you're being silly, so stop being silly. But said in a, let's say, a, a more Glaswegian way. Um, <laughs> partly this hasn't went down well, so figure that. <laughs> they said, I've never uh, but, been so accurately insulted in my whole life. Yes, crap! I can't believe you've just called me exactly what I am. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you How notice dare what I just you. did? <laughs> yeah, so there's, I think there's been a wee bit of animosity about that. Um, Stuart Hogg's a phenomenal rugby player. I've got no problem with, a pheno- uh, with him as a rugby player. I think there's a couple of questionable decisions he's made personally, but um, that's his his world and. I will be fully supporting him in a Scotland shirt uh, come come what me. I mean, it, it's completely ridiculous, but I've kind of been theorizing that Exeter kind of have this stink on them right now. They they do not look like I think people expected yeah. them to. And, you know, it's silly to say it's karma or just, you know, bad juju or something, but it really kind of feels that way. <laughs> yeah, well, it does, you know, and actually I think that was probably the concern from a lot of people. Exeter... I, the, the, they were a club that people wanted to do well for many, many years, probably because we actually disliked Saracens. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was like the traditional English clubs, you were like, I don't like Saracens. They're, eh. 
Oh yeah, when when, and then it when was the Chiefs took down Saracens, it felt really good. <laughs> it felt good, and now probably because we're we're in a different place now, and people have spoken up um, regarding the Chiefs branding. I think the way they've handled it now, they're probably the people we want to dislike. Um, not not as a rugby club, although again, there's some questionable characters in that club, but I think as a as a as a as an entity, we are very much like guys. I think you could fix a lot of this, but damage has been done every day that Exeter players, um, certain Exeter players maybe speak up and and retweet certain things on on mm. Twitter regarding uh, regarding the current situation globally. Let's say, uh, speaking around the situation, there's a few players who maybe have slightly different opinions regarding that and then you've got the branding issue sitting over them so i agree there is a there's a stench to the exeter brand just now which i think players are tarnished by and it doesn't help like you can forgive a lot of decisions from a player when they when they don't necessarily have that overall brand of something's not right there Mm. around them so yeah but Scotland captain, we will support him when he's here. Um, I just don't necessarily agree with where he's playing. <laughs> well, from from what I can tell, he still has by far the most caps on the team. I wanted to look a little closer at the at the newbies on the squad. Is they're going to be the ones yes. that, that they'll be sort of hardest to predict? I would guess simply because we don't have much or even any sample size. Um, do you think Gregor got the got the mix right between the old and the new? So. Do you know, we were we were heavily debating this prior to the squad announcement because one thing Gregor Townsend always does is he, he loves to freshen up the squad. And that's not to say that he freshens up the 23 who start against England, but it's bringing people into camp and getting people experience and just getting the coach's eyes on these players at an international level because... We've all seen players who are great club players over the years who just can't be great international players. They don't transition to the environment. It's a different type of ask. It's slightly faster. It's a different game. So getting players into that environment and seeing it is is brilliant. And I think, if I'm being honest, I thought there would be a few less uncapped. So I probably predicted maybe three uncapped players. Okay. In the squad, Delacott, Darge, and and another of some description. I certainly didn't think we would have five, but Townsend always does this, where you end up with a who dat moment, (laughs) (laughs) and then Cammy goes to work and causes carnage for journalists across the world by making sure that their Wikipedia pages are full of inaccuracies. (laughs) So. If your listeners aren't aware of this, uh, Cammy is is an is a is a liability with these things. But every year he tries to plant a few things in about players into their Wikipedia pages, so that journalists will pick up. <laughs> That's brilliant. So, uh, the the best one we've had was it was Nick Caning when Nick Caning made his uh, Scotland debut. Cammy had went on and said that he was a professional ballet. Oh, he said he was a trainee ballet dancer, a very prestigious ballet dancer as a young kid. Um, and this took, and Andy Nichol mentioned it on the BBC, 
Um, there was press articles mentioned that Edinburgh Rugby, Haining himself had to come out and say that he wasn't. Um, they he could have blamed... just owned it. Yeah, totally, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, he, Nick Haining bl- blamed his brother for doing it. But we know it was Cammy because he's now subsequently done it every time. Uh, this year, there's a couple of really good good ones in there. Oh, that is a, uh, that is a great about, tradition. One, one about a scrum half who, it turns out, he's, he is not a model train collector. And he does not have a nickname because he likes white bread. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and in the autumn... We had a South African press. The South African press picked up on Dylan Richardson, uh-huh. who made his Scotland debut in the autumn. Uh, we suggested his nickname was Thor, uh, and the South African press went all in on this. So when we're looking at new forwards, uh, I see Andy Christie from the Saracens. Um, he was the uncapped player that jumped out to me. And then um, yep. is it is it Javon Sebastian from Scarlets? I think uh, he's, he's only got the yeah. one cap right now. Is that right? Yep. Yep. I don't know yeah. enough about him to have much of a take on that selection. Do you? Okay. Okay. So uh, let's let's talk about Andy Christie first. I think he has, if, if anyone has happened to stumble upon his Twitter feed, Andy Christie actually doesn't have a Wikipedia page. That's how... Like smart, smart man, smart man. He knows what, he knew what was coming, uh, and he no, um, he sent videos to his family when he got announced in the squad. Oh, I his, saw these. It was fantastic. Oh, it was absolutely bring a tear to glass. I think eye. it was his, his. I think his granny. I think was was the best one. Yeah, the the guys who'd never used Zoom before, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, brilliant. Oh, so good. And for me, that that's a guy who's grown up in England. He's part of a, an English club. He's always he's played age grade rugby for Scotland, but he's 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 always been considered as part of the England setup. That to me, if you want an example of someone where there's this argument that if you don't grow up in Scotland, you're not Scottish. Mm. Look at that guy. Look what that means to that guy and that guy's family being named in the Six Nations squad. Let's let's do away with this idea. Well, yeah, I, I, heard, I heard you guys talking about this. This was, uh, there was, was it a, a journalist who said, oh, I don't hear enough legitimate Scottish accents in that Scottish locker room? Scottish accents. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. as if, you know, <laughs> sorry, yeah. you don't sound Glaswegian enough, you're out. Yeah, exa- exactly, yeah, yeah. Forgetting, of course, that Scottish accents are wide and varied and that, I think I've said it before, but it's really simple. See, if you want to be Scottish, you are Scottish. That is, that is, that for me, if you want to come over here and play your rugby for us, come and play your rugby for us. Mm. If you want to consider yourself Scottish and be part of our culture and what we, we, we try to do as a nation, be part of it. That's how we are a welcoming country. And I think some rugby fans forget that and they move away from that. And it's really disappointing to see. Um, Speaking of welcoming countries, uh, Mr. Sebastian, let's talk about. Uh, I think I think it is Yavin or Javin Sebastian. Um, he yeah he made his debut um, for Scotland in the autumn. He currently plays for the Scarlets. He doesn't necessarily play much for the Scarlets. Yeah, he just uh, he just I can't even picture him without looking him no. up. He was in Scotland for a while. He actually came up to. Scotland, he was in a partnership contract between the Ayrshire Bulls and, well, it was Ayr at the time. It wasn't even the Super 6 team. It was Ayr um, and Glasgow Warriors. 
he couldn't get in the air team. Now, air are a amateur rugby team. Yeah. Let's be clear. Very good amateur rugby team. He couldn't get in the air team. Well. This to me is I I for me this is a huge surprise. I can't understand why he's in the squad. I can't understand what he's bringing to the squad. He's a 27-year-old prop, so he's not young. It's not like he's probably got bags of potential to unlock. Hmm. I it's a it's a head scratcher for me. I don't think he's good enough. I think if Simon Bergen, who returned from injury last night for Glasgow, I think if he is able to show any sort of fitness over the next two weeks, I think you would see Sebastian drop out quite quickly. Okay. I think he's there purely as a, I'm a tight head and we don't have many of those in Scotland mm. to the point where we're trying to convert one of our loose heads uh, in Ollie Kebble to tight heads, but he's he's dropped out the squad completely. Which is another head scratch. Yeah, it's just I don't I don't oh. get the Sebastian thing. Why hadn't I noticed that? Ollie Kebble's out. Yeah, Kebble, uh, Kebble is not in the squad. Yeah, yeah. I don't and, know how I blipped over that. I love him. That's a, that's a yeah, weird one. Kebble, yeah. So I think so. The the loose heads for the Scotland squad this time out is Rory Sutherland, Jamie Batty, um, uh, and 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 another whose name escapes me. <laughs> How tough to look it up, uh, but. Um, Kebble for me would be in that, but he has been messed about a bit this season. He's been moved to tight head um, for Glasgow, who very quickly seemed to get rid of that as an experiment. And it's, yeah, he's now, he kind of seems to have fallen behind everyone in both positions, which I, I don't understand. Hopefully he's got some work on Scott. I love all the Kebble as well. I think he's a, a phenomenal player that has just been handled quite badly by by Scotland so far. So I was really surprised to see that Josh Bayless only has two caps. I, I don't know why. I just had a feeling he had a lot more than that. But him him and you and Ashman both only have the two. Are you feeling good about those two? Uh, uh, yeah, so Bay- Bayless, I think, adds a, a real... So in a short time with Scotland, he's, he's always been considered a prospect coming through the system. And I think when he got his debut, everyone... So he stepped up. He's a very aggressive ball carrier. He's got mm-hmm. a lot of power. Uh, I don't know if he'll get much game time this Six Nations, actually, because I think there's a couple of... He's in that unfortunate position of being probably exactly what Scotland needs at a time when some people who maybe have not necessarily delivered for Scotland are finally reaching some form and showing exactly what they could do. And I'm thinking of Magnus Bradbury, actually, is the, oh, the, the guy who's jumping out here. Good one, Bradbury good one. has flattered, to de- he's flattered to deceive many, many times for Scotland. But when Bradbury is really good, he is what Scotland needs. And his form this season, under new new coaching at Edinburgh, he has really hit his stride. Mm, and he, mm. looks, he looks every bit the the Magnus Bradbury Scotland fans have been desperate to see for years. Uh, so he looks very destructive. And then you've got Matt Fagerson, who again is in that similar mold, who can be extremely good. He's so good. Uh, and then Bayless probably is third choice, unfortunately, at that point. And, um, and then if you consider that if you were to say Bayless can also play six, Jamie Ritchie is probably the, the standout at six. Right. 
Um, there's also talk of Rory Darge playing six. Really? Bra- Bradbury can play six. Um, you know, so there's there's a lot, but Fagerson can play six as well. There's a lot of competition in that back row. And Bayless is a phenomenal rugby player who may struggle to find game time in that back row. And that's before we even consider the new guys in Andy Christie who may find himself starting in yeah. that back row. Again, I guess this could be more of the good problems to have, I guess. Well, that's it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the best thing about it is you could probably say that the first 15 for Scotland almost, if everyone's fit, the first 15 probably picks itself. But if any other player was put into a position, you wouldn't be necessarily that worried about it, mm. aside from the front row. You've said Ewan Ashman as well. I think Ewan Ashman is the future for Scottish rugby at hooker. Um, George Turner is, will, for me, George Turner will start against England, and rightly so. I think he's the, he is the form hooker for Scottish rugby at the moment. But Ewan Ashman is not a million miles away, and he's a very exciting prospect. To think of a squad where a couple of years ago, Stuart McAnally and Fraser Brown were the two two hookers, and imagining a day where neither of those made the twenty two uh, the twenty three um, would have been quite scary for Scottish rugby fans. Yeah, that's a great um, that's a great so point. It's wow. turned around really quickly. So, yeah, Ashman's a great player, very very good player. Well, of course, there's a lot more brand new or mostly new players among the backs. We, you mentioned one of the two Bens. There's Ben V and Ben W. Uh, ben, ben W, absolutely. And uh, and then Kyle Rowe, also uh, all deserving picks yeah. for you? Uh, do you know, so Ben Ben White, let's talk about Ben White, Ben W first. Ben White's kind of come out of nowhere, um, has had some form at London Irish, seems to be playing relatively well. I don't know a great deal about him, um, and I've steered clear of the wiki page, just in case. <laughs> um, but yeah. from, from, like... All the things you hear, like I often judge a, a new cap or a new pick in, in a Scotland squad, I always judge it based on what are other people saying about okay. losing that player. Mm. So Ben White was, could have could have played for England, Had did actually play for England, played in the Barbarians game last year for England, oh. which is non-capped international. So he has played international rugby at uh, English level. So... Uh, that because it's non-capped uh, means he's not quite he's not stuck to England, so he's able to then uh, put his hat in the ring for Scotland. So he was able to be called up formally for Scotland, and I think if he's at that level where Eddie Jones is picking him for, admittedly a Barbarians match, but he was on their radar. So I think that and the the noise coming out of England is that that is. He was a, a good player that could have been in that England squad. Hmm. He's a he's he's a loss to the England setup. Um, that sounds that Vela, sounds good to me. Well, exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bring that over, and anything that annoys Eddie Jones, we are all in for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, ben Velicott, similar situation, except he's moved to Scotland uh, uh, to come play for Edinburgh. He was an Eddie Jones. He was in squads. He just never played in the twenty three. Um, so he's he's now put his hat in the ring finally for Scotland. We've convinced him to come. He started the season really well at Edinburgh. I think he's there on merit. Um, he's been on better form than, say, George Horn. Um, 
so I'm really interested to see how he goes. It'll be interesting to see who is that backup scrum half uh, versus Ali Price. I think you probably see it will be Velicott, but um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Um, Kyle Rowe, though, Kyle Rowe is a... If ever anyone is playing rugby or doing anything in their life and feels rejection and feels feels like just stopping, right? Kyle Rowe, look at his story and just tell me that you don't need to just keep plugging on because this is a guy who has been through all the systems in Scotland. He's been a sevens player. He's had his sevens contract cancelled. He's been an Edinburgh player. He's played at Edinburgh and never got a shot and then left Edinburgh. And he's went to London Irish and he has found himself Mm. there. And he is, for me, he is the form Scottish winger this season. He has been tearing it up in the Premiership. And he he is there on absolute merit. He is more than deserving of. And if he was to start against England, no one could say that he didn't deserve it. He Mm. has been so good uh, and a testament to his mentality and his resilience that he has picked himself up after disappointment, after disappointment, and really found himself. And I, I'm just, I'm so proud of what he's achieved. There's always something s- sort of extra about a, a player like that too, because it, it's almost like you're writ large in your overall life. You're doing the very same thing of just that rugby principle of it's it's about how fast you get back up. You know, you're always going to get knocked down and it's, it's how fast you spring back up. And if somebody translates that to their overall life, there's something just extra special about that. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's such a good news story to see, especially... In the world we are in just now, mm. just seeing someone who's able to say, "Do you know what? Yeah, I've had a, I've had a lot of disappointment, and I've had to pick myself up." And that really translates. Like Scottish rugby, we've always talked about the mental strength mm. that maybe Scottish rugby players, some of them have not necessarily had that at that top level. And to see a guy like that who is able to just pick himself up, as you say almost showing that rugby spirit of get up, make your next hit, try again, try again, try again. It's it's phenomenal. And I'm I'm really I really hope he gets capped. I really hope he gets a run out. And I hope he goes so well. And you know what it reminds me in some ways of to to in a different way, a guy like Kyle Stain, who's in the squad as right, well. Right. You know, Kyle Stain came over to Scotland to play sevens. He took a gamble on it. He, he, he had no real kind of expectation of a professional career. He came over, he played a wee bit of sevens. He then got aligned to Glasgow. And it was about that resilience of just keeping going. Mm. And when you get an opportunity, guys that guys that are able to pick themselves up and see the next opportunity and then grab it, that's what's most important. And it's not about how you've played... 10 years ago, five years ago, four years ago. It's about how you play in your next game. It's mm. how you play in that moment. And these guys have that mentality to do that. So really, really impressive. And I hope he goes so well. Well, I see I see two backs who only have the one cap so far. One of uh, one of whom, of course, is Tupelatu of your beloved Warriors. And then, of course, yep. we, got, we got Cam Redpath coming back, who just shone so bright that day before being out <laughs> for quite a while. I feel like both these guys are going to be great for Scotland this year. Do you feel the same? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Cam Redpath's a really interesting one because he, he possibly had the best first cap of all time. Right. <laughs> you know, everyone looks at that. But like, 
I remember that game so well. He just looked absolutely the the phrase I would manner born for that twelve shirt. He came nice. in and he was just like, "This is mine. I've got this, guys. I'm a young boy, but his like his first touch was a really awkward catch and then a thumping fifty twenty two sort of style <laughs> kick. Yeah. And you're like. All right, okay, no, no, he, he's fine. He's got this. Don't worry, guys. He's got I think, this. I think he's another one who might have gotten away from England too. I think uh, wasn't there a fork in that road? Yeah, no. So he was he was called up to an England squad and then he got injured. That's right. Uh, and he had declared for England, but he got injured and and Scotland managed to convince him. So yeah, he's Eddie. Jo- he was one that Eddie Jones in particular was livid about because um, Redpath he was he was a big option for them. And if you think about it, his primary position is 12. England, probably, if you were to look at the England squad as a whole, they've not got many weaknesses, but 12 is probably where they mm. struggle most. Mm. A guy like Owen Farrell, who's been filling in at 12 for them, he actually makes them worse. He makes the English team worse playing I at think 12. That's fair. So, um, so a guy like Redpath, if he was to have been able to slot in there for England, I think he would have been perfect for the English setup. But we are delighted we have him in Scotland. Uh, and the other person you mentioned is Sione uh, Tuipiloto. Um, again, just offers something different. Um, I think the concern of the balance of the backs for me is you've got, I would say, five players in that backs line whose primary position is 13. Okay. Two of Lotto being one of them. Um, I think Chris Harris has the 13 shirt all day, every day, and there's no getting away from that. I think he's, for me, is he the best 13 in Northern Hemisphere? Probably, um, for what he does. He's well, here's, just... here's a theoretical question for you. What is harder to switch between, 11 and 14 or 12 and 13? Uh, okay, yeah, no, that's a really good question. So... It would be 12 and 13, and the reason for that, so 11 and 14, generally in a back three, because you work as part of a back three when you're a winger, you generally will find it's almost a a come and go sort of thing, whereby depending on the position of the ball, you'll push forward or you'll pull back. And, And you defend differently in the positions, and you have more space or less space depending which one mm-hmm. you are. But generally, it's a kind of a come and go okay. with your 15 or whoever is your backline receiver orchestrating that. So okay. you've generally got someone talking to you. 12 and 13 are very, very different positions, despite them being both centers. Right. And it depends. A lot of that does depend on how you play. Um, so Scotland defend from... So the defensive line for Scotland is 13 driven. So Chris Harris is your defensive linchpin. So what you do is you push out at 13, you drag the inside with you, and then you create the dog leg outside 13, okay. which forces the ball wide. 12 is more now about a reactive position. It used to be 12 was your crash ball um, position. Probably what you need at 12 now is more of a distributor rather than a defender. Okay. So Scotland, when they've played really well, have had um, a Pete Horn or someone of that description at 12. Someone So Cameron Redpath being able to play um, 10 is a really good example of generally we would like to play with a 12 who could play 10. Okay. And Finn Russell's a 10 who can play 12. 
Finn Russell couldn't play 13 and Cameron Redpath would probably... He has played 13, but he wouldn't play 13 because what you would look for is someone who is much more defensive organiser, will always make that tackle, but also is able to pick a gap and pick a space to attack from. You wouldn't necessarily see your 13 distributing. So if you were putting together, like if you were the coach of a brand new team, and yep. you didn't really know these players yet, and you were deciding who you're putting at 12 and who you're putting at 13, What would is there a physical attribute you'd be looking for that would tell you which is the best choice? Yeah, yeah. So I, I would probably say now in modern rugby, um, I say modern rugby, actually it shifted so quickly because probably Warren Gatlin's Wales kind of dictated what a 12 and 13 looked like for oh, a long time. Okay. And that at 12, you had a Jamie Roberts who was six foot four, 18 and a half stone, built of pure granite and would run over the top of you and then outside that you're jonathan davis who is a much more nuanced ball player six foot two not as heavy but certainly had pace gap defended well that's changed for me 13 is now you would want a very strong defensive physical player at 13 who could cause you who's able to get over the ball who's able to make the tackles who's able to lead I wouldn't necessarily need my 12 to be a massive ball carrier anymore. What I would probably look for is someone in the Cameron Redpath actually feel who's not a huge man Mm. can defend and you still need your 12 to be able to defend because they're generally the 10, 12 axis is where you would used to be the nine, 10 axis was where you would target for back rows. So you would have the two smallest guys at nine and ten, and you would send a big back row straight down that channel mm. and go, on you go, guys, make a tackle. <laughs> now I would say that's probably shifted slightly in the because modern defenses are so quick to rush, mm. you would ship at one and then you would target 10-12. So you'd be looking at a defensive liability sitting between those two positions. Interesting. You want your 12 to be able to defend, but for me, it's less of a concern. You would distribute and you would want someone who's got a good kicking game. That's always helpful as well. Uh, if you're able to shift the point of, because we always talk in, um, in Northern Hemisphere rugby in particular, we talk about playing off nine, playing off 10, which is where your nine will be the guy orchestrating those kind of single single plays. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're playing off 10, it'll be the pass goes out and then everything happens around it. Okay. There's almost an argument for me that you can now play off 9, 10, and 12. Oh, wow. And that 12 is almost, it's the relief second receiver. Or if you're feeling really cool, you would bring 15 into that as well and allow them to be your dis- distributor. So a lot more, and it's very, it's very based on the way New Zealand have played for many okay. years where they've had a, they've had a distributor at 12. So to answer your question, I want a big bruiser at 13 who <laughs> can, can pick a line and can tackle all day. And I want whatever I have at 12, as long as they can pass. <laughs> nice. So <laughs> I'm going to pivot back to the actual selection. And I just, you know, I've been talking about the, the inexperienced guys and this is the opposite of that. Uh, but I do have to ask, Finn, have you been watching him in the Heineken Cup this year? And in fact, do you have the ability to watch uh, the French top 14 games where you are? Like, I, I literally can't watch them where I am. Are you able to, you know, on a night say, oh, Racing 92 is playing tonight. I think I'll watch me some Finn. So if, if we're lucky, we can. Uh, so Premier Sports have the coverage of the Pro 14. Uh, uh, top 14, top, sorry. Top 14, yeah. Uh, 
they have that, but they only put on a couple of games every weekend. Oh, so it's kind of up to them whether Racing's on there or some other. Okay. Yeah. It just so happens that Racing are on there quite often mm. because, let's be honest, they're box office. Mm-hmm. So if you were if you were picking a fixture, you were like, you know who I'm going to watch today? I'm going to watch Racing because yeah. Uh, yeah. So I've I've had I've had the opportunity to watch a lot of Finn Russell this year. Um, In the Heineken and, Cup, to me, he's looked good but not great. How are you feeling about it? Uh, so I would I would. Agree to a certain extent. I think his performance against Northampton prior to Christmas, for me, was one of. And this is probably it. Probably sounds quite like a bold shout, but for me, against Northampton, it was one of the best performances from a ten I've seen since Dan Carter two thousand five. Wow! Um, it he absolutely and utterly. And if you just watch the nuance in his game. He took Northampton are not a bad team, right? And he took them apart, and it was almost for me. He had so much time, and he picked so many different decisions, mm. and you could see he had. And it helps when you've got a world class backline around you, but yeah. he just it was he was almost toying with them, yeah. Just like how how funny would it be if I done this just now? Knowing that he could do anything, and he I think would, he would one of my garbage. favorite things about him, I think, is that he just has so many tools in the box, and yeah. you just never know what he's going to pull out, and it, it's always like, whoa! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's exactly it. And I, I often talk about Finn Russell. You know, you know, I love Finn Russell, right? But I often talk about him in the terms of he's the sort of guy for me who makes rugby appealing to people, mm. right? Everybody loves a big, brutal back row going and destroying someone in the tackle. And that's all fun, right? But it doesn't happen all that often. Mm. A guy like Finn Russell, you watch Finn Russell and he makes people smile. He makes guys around him smile. He makes people in the crowd you want to play like that. You want to see that. And he, the ease with which he carries himself and how relaxed he looks out there. It's almost like he's doing a dance while everyone else is sweating their asses off. And you know, and that's the thing, like that actually was a criticism of Finn Russell when he mm. started at Scotland. The, some fans were like, he doesn't take it seriously. It, you know, it's like, yeah, he's made the mistake. Do you think as a professional rugby player, he doesn't know that he's made the mistake? <laughs> Do you think he doesn't know that he's going to have to face that on Monday morning when they go through the video? Exactly. And he's going to have three, four coaches telling him, Finn, don't ever kick like that again. Do you think he doesn't know that? Do you think it's important for him to beat himself up about that for the next 10 minutes? Probably meaning Scotland or Glasgow concede loads of points. Right. And no, of course it's not. No, it's, got to, it's, wa- the, it's water off a duck's back with him. The best professional sports people, the true greats in professional sport, watch them make a mistake, watch how they bounce back from that mistake. It's instant and it's like, okay, that was that, this is now. It's always that way. And Finn is that in buckets. Um, it just so happens he smiles when he's doing it. And yeah. that makes me, I, I love that. I think that's great. I think we talked about it last time when, when the game is about to start and you got a smiling fin, giving the winks and everything on the sidelines. I know it's going to be a good game for him. It, you know, it, you it, know, it, you're in, you know, you're in for some fun. Yeah. Uh, and do you know what? He'll try things and it won't always come off. And actually, I think, I think we talked the autumn series. I think he didn't have that good an autumn series. 
Mm. But that's relative to Finn Russell good. Like, I think a, a, a 10 playing the way Finn Russell plays, you know, you probably say, okay, no, he's had a, he's, he's fine. He had a 6 out of 10, maybe 7 out of 10, autumn. But people would then use that to say, oh, he needs to be dropped, he needs this, he needs that. And you're like, no, this is relative to his right. potential. Finn Russell, it, and nobody can play. Nine out of ten every week. Exactly. He can't do the stuff he does every week, but he's got the potential to do it, and that scares defenses. So if Finn Russell finds any form in this sixty, and I've got no doubt he will, and he'll do lots of things, he'll always divide opinion because Scottish rugby fans quite often have real were really scared of creative players in Scotland mm. and that worries a lot of fans but for a, for someone like me it just it makes rugby worth watching and from the outside it, it feels like that that sort of attitude about him has shifted i feel like people have come to realize what they've got a little bit more and i don't hear so much of the oh he's unpredictable you never know what you're going to get i think i think you do know that the base level you're going to get is pretty damn good yeah yeah i think that's fair and i think the lions has helped that as well because yeah you know, watching watching him come on for that final test. Yeah, wink, wink at Ali after drinking his uh, energy, un, un, undefined energy drink uh, as he's coming on. Um, Mystery yeah, juice. That's uh, it. We don't we don't know what Finn's on tonight, but it's going to be good. Um, yeah, so I, th- I, th- I think there's a lot of optimism there. Um, there was there was some major league pitcher who who took acid before a game and then threw a perfect game. Ah. <laughs> Obviously, we are not going to advocate that no. people take illicit drugs and then yeah. perform. I'm, but I'm not implying that he ingests hallucinogens before a match. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> let's be honest, Finn Russell's world is already full of rainbow unicorns. So we don't need more rainbow unicorns. I know. It's, it's his job to bring them to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We need the rainbow unicorns, not Finn. <laughs> So I don't know why I thought of this this morning, but because um, I, I think we talked about Pierre Schumann last time. Yeah. And, um, and for some reason, I just remember this. Do you remember that match where the other team was really close to the goal line? And you know how like you can touch the ball to the pads around the post. And so he lifted it up and was just holding it yep. out of range yep. while yep. defending people. And they, they changed that rule like the day after that. So you can't do that anymore. Yeah, right, yeah. And even at the yep. time, the ref, the ref was like, wait a second, stop it, cut it out. And he's like, oh, okay. But I just thought that was brilliant. I don't know why I thought of that this morning. Was that an Edinburgh yeah. game? or That was Edinburgh, yeah, yeah. He was playing for Edinburgh. Yeah, oh, just absolute brain, like brain smarts at that point. It's oh, very impressive, actually. Yeah, he's in the middle of defending and it's like, oh, by the way, there's not a rule against this yet. Uh, yeah, I've got you. <laughs> Yeah, brilliant. You can sort of see the faces on the other team, like, "Hey, wait a sec! I was going to use that." (laughs) Oi, that's not loud. (laughs) Yeah, very, very clever. And actually, he's the the loose head that I missed out earlier on, Pierre Schumann. Which how how could I miss out, Pierre? Uh, Yeah. So I think um, looking forward to hearing plenty of chants of of shoe shoe over the over the Six Nations. and hopefully his parents now know that he's not being booed. <laughs> it's, the, <laughs> it's the fans being affectionate. These people are terrible. <laughs> They're awful, yeah. He comes over here and he plays for them, and they just boo him. <laughs> 
was it on your podcast that somebody mentioned um, this whole thing with Duhan? And it, it, it turns out his name's not supposed to be pronounced Duhan. It, it's really just a South African spelling for Dwayne. Uh, I, mm, I don't, it might have been our podcast. I don't remember that though. I, I, um, I, I heard about that and it's changed absolutely nothing. And he seems to not have a problem with it. So. I guess he's yeah, doing. I, I guess he's doing like, that. Yeah, because well, uh, I think because in in, I think Duhan, um, it kind of has like a more like Dwayne for me is a bit like oh okay Dwayne cool right <laughs> all right, whereas Duhan it kind of has a bit more gravitas to it. It's like Duhan, <laughs> um, you know you you like you think of the name Duhan versus Dwayne. Dwayne is five foot nine. Probably around, you know, around 180 pounds. He's not that. He's not a big boy. Duhan. Uh, I'll let you tell him this. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Duhan for me is like Greek mythology, big, and and just comes and smashes people. So, yeah. Is the uh, is the Iron Dew nickname going to stick? Is that the, the best we're going to end up doing? I, uh... I, yeah, yeah. I think Iron Dew is good. Um, I think I think that might catch. Um, I I think for a lot of people, it's kind of you know the the film uh, was it remember the 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 Zohan? No, uh, I don't know. Uh, so I think it was a Ben Stiller film where he, or uh, where where he was a, like a, a kind of cool uh, superhero style thing. Um, Zohan sounds very like Duhan, so I think like just the Duhan might might stick oh, as yeah. well. Uh, just go go single name, just it's like a, the Mish. It sounds like you might put in a coin and get your fortune told. Yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you oh sorry, you don't mess with the Zuhan was the was the film two thousand eight. Oh okay, comedy. okay. Adam, Adam Sandler, not Ben Stiller. Actually. Oh, that's why it threw me off. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah. So you've already given me more time than I expected you to be able to give me, and we still haven't gotten to the inevitable thing. So this nation, uh, the Six Nations, it could be a roller coaster, and uh, Scotland are going to start off the campaign at home. They're going to be facing an Owen Farrell-free England. And to me, England just always looked powerful. They just perpetually, it always perpetually feels foolish to pick against them. But how do you see this one going? Well, the last time they faced, Scotland did win, and that one was away in Twickenham. Um, so advantage Scotland? Do you know, I think, right, this is where the optimism that I spoke of earlier kills you, right? I think on paper, England are always such a dangerous side, right? And I think yep. actually Owen Farrell missing, funnily enough, for a, you know, 90-odd cap, 100 cap veteran, thousands of points for England. <laughs> the fact that Scottish fans are disappointed that he's missing is probably mm. indicative of where, where we see it at. And I think it will depend who Eddie Jones brings in. I think they've got a lot of options there. Um I do think, to a certain extent, Marcus Smith might miss having such an experienced 12 outside him. Mm. But then Marcus Smith has looked world-class in his short time at the top of rugby. So I don't necessarily think maybe that might not phase him. Um, England should win, right? Let's, Let's be very clear. England should, on paper, win that match. I think being at Murrayfield and having fans available that makes a huge uh, difference fans that they will make a huge difference and i think uh, for me probably the biggest concern is uh, the referee actually oh, okay i think 
Ben, so we've got Ben O'Keefe for the England game, who traditionally we might find ourselves struggling at scrum time. Oh. Um, and Ben O'Keefe is very quick to reward the dominant scrummaging team uh. overall. Okay. Uh, so, you know, not just where there's maybe a 50-50 at the breakdown, it's almost the dominant scrummaging team who will always get that 50-50. So my concern is Scotland might not get a chance to play. Uh, and because of that, England should potentially run out winners. Um, we just gotta but, get we just gotta get Genji so mad that he blows his stack again. Oh well, ex- <laughs> exactly, and that's that's a possibility. Like all joking aside, I think there will be a degree of almost similar in some ways to uh, the the that that famous game where Finn threw the pass and Hugh Jones ran riot uh, at at, um, at Murrayfield. I think there might be quite a lot of niggle in the run-up to this one, and I do think Scotland have got a chance if they can get into the minds of those English forwards. Sure. I think there's going to be a lot of adaption. Without incurring the wrath of Ben O'Keefe, like with, with, without, yeah, Doing it in just enough of a way that's going to cause problems, but not incurring the wrath of the referee. Um, I think being able to adapt to O'Keefe's um, interpretation of the laws is going to be really important mm. and if if he does start to favor england at the breakdown i think scotland will have to get quite creative about how they approach that um but i don't put it past them to be able to do that because i think there's some very intelligent rugby players in that scottish side i would counter that england are the opposite of that say england tend not to have very intelligent rugby players <laughs> Not to paint paint with a broad stroke. No, no. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. We'll just hit that one out of the park. I mean, (laughs) whole whole rugby nation, not very bright at rugby. It's too bad about the brains, you guys. Yeah, yeah. You've got all the brawn. I know. There is is intelligent rugby players in England, but like generally their forwards tend not to be the most Mm. brightest people. They tend to be quite brute force orientated and being able to adapt to laws we saw it with the italy game years ago with uh, the famous um i'm not your coach quote from roman Platt when james <laughs> haskell when italy were playing all sorts of shenanigans at the breakdown and haskell's like what what do we do what do we do and he's like i don't i don't care <laughs> not, not my job ask. yeah yeah <laughs> go, go and ask your coach he'll tell you um so I think there's an opportunity for Scott. I, like I, on the podcast, on the Scottish Rugby podcast, we talk a lot about we have like three levels of prediction. Mm. You've got your head, which is the logical what's what you think is going to happen. You have your heart, what you hope is going to happen, and then you have one more, which is the the bottom passage, and it's to do with worst case scenario. Like if it all goes horribly wrong, that that's the prediction okay. there. So, during the first two, head head says England will win. It'll be close, but England will win. Heart says Scotland will absolutely tear them to pieces, <laughs> and it'll be it'll be another another victory for Scotland. And we have got, I think, we've got the potential to do that. The other bit of me says that it'll all go Pete Tong, and um, 
that <laughs> that unfortunately it'll be another Six Nations starting off with another defeat to England Ugh. and optimism will crash and Finn Russell will retire from international rugby <laughs> and you know <laughs> due, due to injury due, due to injury exactly yeah so um but I think we've got a chance so fingers crossed so the next week, Scotland have to make the trip to Cardiff. I'm having a hard time believing this Wales team right now, despite, like you said, like, I, I don't know how they won the last Six Nations. Yeah. I, I just don't know. They seem scattered right now. How are you feeling about this? Is this an away win? Uh, I mean, yes, it should be. It should be. Um, the problem Scotland have got, we should have beaten Wales last year as well. Um, the problem Scotland have got is that Wales have had almost a bit of a a bit of a hoodoo over us in that we've struggled we have struggled in Wales many, many times over the last while. I don't think Wales are better than us. Far from it. I actually think we're a better rugby side. I think we just need to I think the the, the almost the the England game will prove pivotal in how mm. we approach Wales. And I don't necessarily, and this is going to sound really strange, but I don't necessarily think either a loss or a win is going to cause Scotland any problems with the Wales game. Interesting. Because I think if we lose to England, there's almost an expectation that England are a very good side. And as long as we don't get absolutely pasted by England, I think we will go down to Wales with confidence that we can turn them over. Mm -hmm. I think if we win against England, it then sets the tone that we are expecting to challenge this year. And I think we should, we would take confidence from that and be able to go down there. I don't think it's late enough in the championship that the press go into overload, uh, which has been a problem in the past. I also don't think it's the first game in the championship. So the press yeah. don't have the chance to go into overload. Well, it's interesting that you used the word confidence when I thought you were going to use the word pressure, <laughs> but you think those things are the same in this case, like winning and, setting, um, winning and setting that expectation is going to put the players in a mindset where they're like, yes, this is ours to ours to win. I, I think, so I think pressure comes with the territory of playing international rugby mm. for Scotland. And I don't think the guys that are in the incumbents in the shirt now, these guys have grown, like, so maybe Scottish rugby 10 years ago, the guys who held those shirts pressure was not as big because actually these guys had done very little mm. in, in world rugby. So thinking about their club sides, you know, there's guys who they played for good clubs, but you know, there was guys who'd never, never won anything in their life. Right. And now you've got guys, you've got your European cup winners in that Scotland team. You've got pro 14 winners. You've got, English Premiership winners, you've got top 14 winners mm. around, you know, so guys guys have won trophies. You've also got guys who've been playing That's a great point. For, for Edinburgh and Glasgow who, yeah, they've not won anything yet but the demand is there. Mm -hmm. They are expected to win every week. So that pressure to me almost just translates to the national team where yeah, there's thousands of Scottish rugby fans saying you need to win games but they already know that. I see. So it's about believing you can win games, not okay. having other people expect you to win them. That's a great point. I love that. Uh, so I'm going to write down a W there for, for the Wales game. And, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. 
so in round three, back home again for a very eager France team who looked to me like they are getting everything just lined up perfectly for their upcoming home World Cup. Um, does this yeah. fixture scare you or will Scotland just take care of business at home? So, um, right. Again, this is going to sound strange. I think Scotland will win this match. Okay. Uh, because I think France have... France and Scotland, to me, are the two entertainers of the Six Nations. I think France and Scotland, it's it's always a really good match, right? But I think the fact that France play the way they do actually suits Scotland, whereas it doesn't suit other teams that France play against. Mm which is, is nice, and it does make for a great game, and particularly at Murrayfield, we tend to have really good games. We had, we had we've got a really good record against them at Murrayfield as well, so I think we would fancy our chances. Um, I agree with you. I think France are one of the best teams in the world and are building so well for their World Cup. I would caveat that very slightly with, and it feels very... Um, typical to say about France, but France are millimetres away from the edge of mistakes yeah. at all times. Yeah. If, is, we, if we can get Hawass to throw one punch. Yeah, yes, yes. They, they are on the precipice of disaster at all times. And it's, it's kind of beautiful. It's, it's so exciting to watch. I, I mean, again, to talk about microcosm, so I like to think about... Um, is there moments in games where you look at a side and it tells you everything that you need to know about that team? And like almost for me, like Scotland 2017, the Finn Russell, that pass that I've mentioned against mm -hmm. England, that summarised Scottish rugby at that point because mm. it was just so ridiculous. It should not have worked. It was confidence. It was swagger. But ultimately, it was at the percentage play. Absolutely not. It was madness. Should you have done it? No, but you did, and we scored. Well, I think I know where you're going with this. Is the is the Entomac pass just a few weeks ago? Is that where France is right now? Entomac. Yeah. Well, yeah. The the Entomac. Not just not the pass. Just the, that, that whole play. Not just yeah. the pass. The, the escape. Run about and get the escape. The absolute madness that is. I am going to have just complete and utter confidence to take a ball in my own goal area, run around, and then Go break backwards, the line. Then. Yeah, just have a wee run about. We don't, yeah, okay, and then throw a lovely offload. That That is France in a nutshell just now. They have all the potential in the world to just do something bizarre and bonkers, and it will work, and it is working for them, and mm. I think it's great, and I love it. I love it so much. But Part of that love comes from just knowing it can go. It's like the train wreck, knowing it can go horribly wrong at any given point, and that's going to be entertaining as well. <laughs> it really is. So um, I, th I think Scotland can turn them over and uh, will be confident to do so. So next up is round four, obviously, and Scotland will be taking a nice little trip to Rome. Is Italy going to win a match this year? It's been a while. No, and if, no. if, if they do, surely not this one, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, right, okay, so if Italy are, so here's my pessimist head coming in here, if uh -oh. Italy are to win a match, it will be this one, right, because I don't, I don't think Italy will necessarily trouble any of the other teams, mm. I just don't see, I think, yeah, where they're at, they're a side in a lot of transition, and it's really frustrating because from a club perspective, they've got a decent team now in uh, Benetton, 
they are playing really well in the URC, they they are causing teams problems. I think it was something silly, like 23 of the squad are coming from Benetton. Mm. Um, you know, it's they're they're kind of a one club nation almost now. Yeah, that's kind of sad. Which is 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 a real shame, but I think um Italy and because of the way the fixtures felt. So if this was last year, there is no question in my mind. Scotland take on Italy and they slap them about at Murrayfield and they and I predicted a fifty point win last year. Mm. That's where we're at. And I said actually if we're being serious as a rugby nation with where Italy are at and where Scotland it should want be to that. be at, it should be that you kind should of be result. you should be putting thirty points past the minimum. You should be looking at fifty. Mm. So and Scotland got the fifty points this year, and like I was like, right, fine, that's good. That's that's that sets out a marker where we want to be. At Rome, it's always different, right? And it's it depends on. I think if Scotland get ahead, I think Scotland will win, right? To be clear, but if Italy are going to win a game, it will be this one. Mm. Scotland need to get ahead early. They need to pick a team that respects the fact they're playing against a, a nation at home. Mm-hmm. So. This is the fixture that does give me a wee bit of worry because I think Finn Russell is going to play, as I've said before, I think he's going to play every game 80 minutes, barring injury or barring a mad result where we are 40 points ahead. I think Finn Russell's going to play each of these matches. He's also going to play for Racing in the midweeks. Oh, oh yeah. Because he'll have to go back and play for Racing, and they will want him back to play yep. because they pay him a hell of a lot of money. Yep. Why would he not go back? So for me, they will change the ten against Italy. They done it last year. They played Stuart Hogg at ten, which right. came out of nowhere. Um, so it kind of gives me the worry a little bit that we'll experiment a wee bit and mm. maybe not have enough against a team away from home, but. That's down to the coaching. They will know what they need to do. So it's a it, small worry. Italy, best looking crowds in the Six Nations, probably, right? Oh, 100%. Yes. 100%. Best looking crowds. Best anthem, would we say? Mm. Possibly best anthem. Second best anthem at a push. And one of the best, if not the best, strip. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. I've actually got three Italy tops in that cupboard really? just over there. Yeah. I love the Italy strips and uh, the 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 fashion sense for the coaches unbelievable. Exactly, yeah. They've they've just they've got it all. They just need a better team on the park. So now to end the tournament, Scotland will be away again. So that's two in a row. Although they they've got time in between. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they'll be facing an Ireland squad who look just raging and powerful to me right now. It sounds like you're not as up on them as as I am right now. And by the way, this this means nothing, but I, I just love the fact that the abbreviation for Ireland is Ire because I feel like that's that, that's what they play with. <laughs> like, yep, I, that's, I, that's, I, what, that's what they're bringing. Thought- I had never thought that before, but that is that's a very good observation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, do you know, I Irish rugby is in uh, Irish rugby is in such a good place. And the for me, outside of if you think about New Zealand as being your kind of traditional benchmark of ability to bring through young players on a conveyor belt talent mm. pool, one after the other after the other, and be able to almost fit bits of bits of players into your machine that you've mm. created almost swap them out you're able to put your 
you're you know you're able to take that gearbox out of another car and put it straight into your car <laughs> and it works really well they are they are that good and a lot of that's driven by Leinster you know yeah. Leinster are just a world class side but they've they've played three of their well they've played three rounds they had one of their matches cancelled in the Heineken Cup in those three matches they amassed 198 points yes and they gave Bath a scalping yeah, historic, <laughs> an historic scalping. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they are a world class, and Ireland are a very, very good side. I think so. Andy Farrell at the helm. I don't know if he again. I don't know if he's the right man for the mm. job, but he's doing well. He's he's getting them playing well. They're still overly reliant on Johnny Sexton at ten. Mm-hmm. I agree. Who is about one hundred and four now? And yep. Made a bis- made the biscuits. Um, so the Ireland are a team that should be competing for a Grand Slam this year I don't think they will because what I said about Wales earlier on where the players come into camp and are the sum of the parts is greater mm. we, Ireland for me are the opposite they have Interesting. All, all the players and they come into camp and they're less than huh. what they should be Interesting. all blacks winning aside Huh. Well, well, what do you think? Is they they're going to be able to go to the Aviva and get a win away there? I, I, I got to say, when you're when you're at the last round, a lot is going to depend on how the other rounds have gone. To you know, if Ireland are, you know, somehow looking at a wooden spoon, they're going to be damn sure to bring everything to avoid yeah. that. But if they, yeah. you know, things can happen. What do, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, Scotland Ireland's always a tough match, and I totally agree. I think the impact of the previous four fixtures will will shape where you're at um i think scotland's will well if scotland are going for a grand slam it mm. changes the dynamic completely and i think the sheer will and force of knowing that history or even having the opportunity to maybe win the tournament that may be enough for them History, um, as we proved last season when we went down to Twickenham, first time in 38 years, we had won a match there. Also won in Paris, first time in many, many years. That was first time we'd done both in the same season since like If, if Scotland hadn't won that game in Paris, I was ready to be so angry because of the whole yeah. rescheduling it thing. And it, like, ugh, I was, yeah. they needed to win that. Yeah, I think I think I think they did. Yeah, and it, yeah, it was it was a it was a brilliant brilliant win. So I think that that, that Scotland side last year have proven that like history history doesn't last forever. You can't like no thing in the history of ever has continued in infinitum. Yeah. So we have to be able to go to the Aviva and beat them at some point, and it's actually been one of the stadium that we've been to where even when Scotland have not been very good, we've still got results now and then against Ireland. So like we might not have won another game, but we beat Ireland in Ireland. So I, 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 yeah, it's a tough one. Again, head says Ireland will win and it will be close because Ireland do seem to be able to grind out victories against us. My heart says we'll be going for a grand slam and we'll we'll go and we'll cause some carnage. Um, but 
then the Scottish rugby fan in me then is shouting internally at me, saying, "Do not say the Grand Slam word. Do not say this. You're, <laughs> we are going to be. We're going to have a wooden spoon decider. Um, so no." <laughs> <laughs> Worth also mentioning, if you don't mind, and I'm sure there's probably probably people um, who listen to your podcast who may or may not be aware. So actually, the Ireland game this year, um, we the Scottish Rugby podcast will be hosting our first live podcast. Oh, that's where. Okay, that, that day. So we are we are actually live in Edinburgh. We are over in uh, the Biscuit Factory in Edinburgh, which is a venue. Um, and we've got a full watch party organised for uh, to come along and oh, be part of. We're going to watch gonna the so games, great. and then we're going to do a live live podcast, sort of obviously looking at things and reviewing what's going on, and just giving the usual nonsense that we get up to. Um, That's going to be so great, be amazing. You know, the uh, it was a couple of years now. So yes, yesterday was my birthday, and the. The birthday before that was supposed to be the big gift from my wife was a trip to Scotland that we had been planning right. for a long time. And then obviously that's impossible. So, but yes. w- one of these days I'll be like, Hey, here I am at your live event. One of these days. One, one of these days uh, you will be a more than welcome guest at our live event. And uh, if there isn't an live event at that point, you'll be a more than welcome guest at a table for some pints. So oh, that sounds uh, great. It'd be, be really good. So, depending on if we're listening to your head, your heart, or your ass, uh, we're looking yeah. at we're looking at anywhere from a grand slam to three and two. Um, if three and two is the result, are you going to say, well, you know, that's kind of the the bottom of what I expected, but that's okay. Will you still be okay with it, or, or will you think that's yeah? A- you know, I, I think I think we're at a point now, um, a year out from a World Cup. I think we would need to there would be serious questions asked. Um, I, I, I think if Scotland, uh, if Scotland only beat Italy, this Six Nations, mm. I think there'll be huge questions asked about where we are as uh, progressing to World Cup next year. Yeah. I think, I think there would be, I think there would be possibly not, I don't think Gregor Townsend goes. I think he, I think he's bulletproof at least till the World Cup now. Hmm. I was actually going to ask you about that. If it's hard here to know what, if there is such a thing as an average Scottish fan, how they're feeling about Townsend, yeah. Townsend right now. Is he, he nailed, nailed on for the foreseeable future? He's, he's he's nailed on at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think progress under Townsend has happened. I think the World Cup in 2019 was very frustrating for a lot of fans because mm-hmm. Scotland had built towards that and then performances really slipped off yeah and there was there was we were actually in the podcast talking about the tombsday clock which was the how, how close is gregor townsend to being fired and at one at one at one point i had i had him at one minute to midnight at one point like <laughs> and i thought was, was that after the loss to japan and the uh and the threatened lawsuit uh, match uh, yeah, well it was, yeah i mean it was japan was a, and then that was the a bad Nations, feeling the Six Nations after that we weren't we weren't good. Um and I was I was a bit concerned about where we were at. Um but he has proven the ability to reinvent Scotland actually because we've moved away. We still talk about Scotland. There was the famous quote, the fastest brand of, of right, right. the world trademark. 
And we we've moved we have moved away from that. We still play fast, exciting rugby, but we are much more pragmatic. We mm. we look for space, we play when it's on, but defensively we're so much better than we were. And that's important. And I think credit does go to Gregor Townsend for, for that transition. I think we've done really well. I think we talked previously as well about the, the, the Finn Russell debacle and being able to say that you're wrong mm-hmm. is is a huge sign of, or being able to admit some, maybe not say you're wrong because we're talking about professional sports people yeah. and possibly being wrong but is there, not. There was some mutual culpability, it seems like. They both were able to both, say, okay. Both accepted that there was maybe something they could do better and that's important. So I think Gregor Townsend's probably now at a position where he is much more respected by Scottish fans than he was. Um, I think we are quite demanding now because of the players we've got available to us. I think we are only one bad six nations away from having uh, we need to ask questions about things. And actually, I think if we were to go, because of where we've been the last couple of years, I think if you then go back to only beating Italy in Rome, I think people would be really concerned that's a backward step. Mm. And and let's be fair, it is a backward step. We should be better than that. Yeah. It it might be time to switch to league at that point. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or or certainly invest properly in the women's rugby game. Ah, yes. Which which obviously you'll know that we we, uh, are massive advocates for in Scottish rugby. We we want to, uh, well, the Scottish rugby blog, we want to see proper investment in the women's game. We think it's a huge opportunity for Scotland. And Scot- Scottish the Scottish women have got a, a, the chance to reach their first World Cup right. coming up. And it's been made slightly easier by COVID because uh, the, the semi-final that Scotland were due to play has been cancelled and Scotland have been put forward to the final where they'll play um, Kazakhstan or oh. uh, one, uh, yeah, another. Um, basically, Scotland should be expecting to go through here. Uh, is is what we're saying. So Scottish women might make their first ever World Cup. And that investment is is just so important because of the fact that it it is showing up in other countries as well. So and yeah. if the deck is completely stacked heading into this, that's harder to get more fans yeah. in too because yeah. nobody wants to go into a match with a. Oh, you know, an outcome you already know walking in. Well, exactly, yeah, that's exactly right. So, yeah, Scot- Scotland will face a final against either Kazakhstan or Colombia, uh, which uh, Scotland are heavily, heavily favourites for both of those matches. So, I would think. Um, based, based on world ranking, Scotland should should qualify. So, uh, no, that uh, Scot- Scottish rugby is in a, a really, really good place just now. And actually... To probably finalise and kind of summarise, like this, this Six Nations, there's a lot of optimism going into it because both the club sides, Glasgow probably lesser so from my perspective, but both club sides have had good wins. They're both in good positions. There's a lot of exciting players in that squad. And the ability to leave out seasoned veterans like an Adam Hastings, an Ollie Kebble, a George Horn. And still not necessarily weak in the side mm. is not something we've had in Scottish rugby before. By the so, way, are, speaking of Edinburgh, are you already prepared for the uh, all the comments you're going to be getting this week on your own pod about the 66 point win that Edinburgh put up while while Glasgow were crapping themselves on the field? Um, 
Oh yes. Uh, I'm. I'm not going to lie. I've it's coming. Already, it's coming. I've. I've already had private messages. Um, which is, uh, yeah. Do you know, it was a great. It was a great win for them. And one of the messages I got was, "Good to see Edinburgh listen to your t- team talk." Uh, and I, I was like, I genuinely replied with, "What team talk? I don't remember. Did I? Did I even say anything about Edinburgh?" But apparently, I had indicated that they don't necessarily that they did they had taken their foot off the throat, and that they should really, if they're in a position where there there is an advantage, they should hammer that home. Um, so apparently, they did that. So yes, Edinburgh fans across the world, you are welcome. It was it was all me. <laughs> Keep tuning in for those nice little team tweaks. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, no, I've got no doubt I'll get some abuse for that, but. Um, it's it's all good fun, and actually, I'm sure it'll involve a lot of you saying, "Yes, you did very well in the Challenge Cup." Well done. You you know my patter quite well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you've done very well in the Diddy Cup. Um, yes, uh, in yes. the Lesser Cup, you've you've really shown that you yeah. belong there. Yes, <laughs> it, it, exactly. In the in the second tier of European rugby, you truly have displayed your ability to be. Uh, at the forefront of being in the second tier of rugby. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day you'll get promoted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just yeah. Keep at it, guys. Yeah, yeah. Come on, you just can join us one day in the Big Boy Cup. So, Which actually, on, on that note, I need to just check while we're here. Are, are Glasgow going to uh, get through? In the oh, Big I, Boy I, Cup? Don't, actually, please don't tell me. I'm, I'm way behind on some some of the matches this weekend. And so it's not going to be till tonight I look at all those permutations of who's going through to wit. Yeah, Though yeah. the uh, the one I did watch today, Connacht collapsing against Stade Francais. Yeah, oh, yeah. The, the Capri Sun bubblegum. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Love a Capri Sun bubblegum. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Stade of always get a good... good uh, I need to get myself a Stade shirt, actually, because that's I've got a quite a, a quite a healthy collection of rugby shirts in the cupboards, and you're you're uh, a little you're a little low on hot pink right now. I'm a little low on hot pink with some bubblegum blue. Yeah, maybe maybe need to expand that slightly. <laughs> there should be. I always really feel like there should just be a straw sticking out of the back. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, maybe they should put one on it actually, and just like yeah, get them to run about with their their Capri Sun straws. Be good. So, John, you've given me much more time than I could possibly have expected. As always, you're the absolute best. I've had so much fun chatting and catching up about everything. I, I feel better about Six Nations now. Uh, I do, <laughs> like you like you said, I do fear starting off on the wrong foot against England. I think that's going to color the rest of the, the tournament. But but we can do we'll it. See how we, go. we can do it. We can do it. And we'll see how we go. And you know what? At the end of it all, as long as there's been some effort, some performance, it's only a game. And there's a lot what? of really... What are, you, what are you talking about? <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of really important things out there uh, in the world. And, about, and, you know, and the reason I'm saying this is because, like, a degree of... There's been a lot of rugby fans maybe have forgotten in the world that our game is really important to us, but ultimately there's a lot more going on mm. and just having a degree of pragmatism about, you know, thinking about people not getting to stadiums to watch games and things like that. And actually the upcry regarding that actually was quite disappointing because I think 
we've really got to understand that there's so much more going on mm. in the world and people people have been in horrible positions because of what's happened in the world and to moan about not getting to go to a rugby game um because because of this is really for me is quite quite pathetic so i think as long as we at the end of it as long as everyone's happy and healthy and we've had a good six nations with some good rugby yeah we'll, the, we'll, we'll, we'll take it in the chin no matter what happens there's a lot of fatigue and wanting to get all this over with and and i understand how how much people hate no you know no crowds in the stadiums yeah, i yeah, get it and yeah. the money and all that but like you say Keep your eyes on the prize for what's important. Please. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What's important is everyone's happy and healthy, and we we yeah, it's great to be able to get some live sport back, and it'll be really exciting. But and if we can just if we, if we can just find the three right rugby teams to quarantine in a hotel in South Africa, we can get rid of this whole thing <laughs> in no time. Well, that's it. That that has been our issue this whole time. We just haven't found that. <laughs> It's the England right combination France. you got to get. Yeah, yeah. England and France and Wales definitely all need to take a trip to South Africa all at the same time in the next, I would say, probably three to four weeks. <laughs> Problem solved. See, that's Problem what we solved. do here. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, if Ireland wanted to shut their borders at that point, that would be fine too. <laughs> uh, well, as I say, thank you again so much for joining us on the Scrum of the Earth today. It has been awesome. I hope we can catch up sometime again soon. Maybe we'll do a bonus episode to celebrate a Scotland Grand Slam in, in March. I promise you, this is this is my word to you now and to your listeners. If Scotland win the Six Nations, I will join you for a podcast. I will crack a whiskey and I'll get absolutely merry and we can do this properly and it'll be a proper celebration. I can't wait. <laughs> me too mate <laughs> so john have a lovely burn tonight in a couple nights i really appreciate yep. your time and it's always just the best to talk to you thank you thank you it's been an absolute pleasure cheers as always and be well you too mate. Well, my friends, once again, that does it for this very special bonus pod. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have, but frankly, I doubt it. Get in touch whenever and however you like. I'm, of course, on Twitter, at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and you can always just email me at thescrumoftheearth at gmail.com. Also, if you could take a minute to just leave me a nice little review, that would be smashing as always. So, thanks to you for listening all over the world. Cheers. Talk to you soon, and be well. It gives me great pleasure to be here today. Oh, it does, neat. <laughs> <laughs>